Hello everyone, welcome to the Melting Pot podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is as a result of my hunger for optimizing business performance, scaling up organizations, corporate culture, customer addiction, building high-performing teams, along with a few other obsessions along the way. I've spent the last several years working for and with some of the most successful top-performing companies in the world. And this podcast is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a high-quality business and live a more fulfilling life. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find more information on today's episode and other topics at dominicmonkhouse.com. Today I'm talking to Carla Kringle and Imogen Puddock of Fizzpot Bang. They met at Red Bull. Imogen was head of marketing, head of brand, and Carla arrived as the new head of HR, or at the time, as Imogen thought, the head of fun police. And they didn't interact, they say, for the first maybe 12 months, other than a sort of nod across the room. And then their MD, who was an inspiration to them both, had been doing some charity work and asked them to take the work that they'd done at Red Bull, where they'd created a brand and they'd built a training program for the 250 Red Bull brand ambassadors that were hired every year in universities across the UK. How do you take that work about creating and bottling the culture and take it to a charity and apply it? And in doing that together, they realized that this was the work that energized them and came up with an idea of going out on their own. It took about 12 months before that happened. And then seven years ago, they started Fizz Pop Bang. They have got a mission, which is to make the nation whistle on their way to work. So they want to create great cultures where great people go and do meaningful stuff and and are more engaged. So we talk about what was great at Red Bull, what they learned, how they apply that for clients, including the work that they did for the English Cricket Board. They also talk about now that they're a 12-person business, how they've built their culture And they wish they'd done that earlier, but some tips and tricks for them on how to build a great culture in a remote work environment. And then some fantastic book recommendations and even a shout out to a podcast. I really enjoyed chatting to them today. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed interviewing them. So my name is Imogen Puddock and I am the co-founder of Fizzpot Bang. And I'm Carla Kringle, also the co-founder of Fizzpot Bang. And we met about... 15 years ago. <laughs> we both um, used to work at Red Bull. So um, I was the uh, um, head of brand and Carla was head of HR. And for the first um, few years of our career at Red Bull together, we just sort of pointed at each other, didn't really know each other particularly well. And um, we just thought we were at real different ends of the spectrum. So, you know, I was working in the marketing team, sort of slightly crazy marketing team coming up with these sort of slightly crazy ideas. And I started working at Red Bull quite early on in Rebel's life in the UK. I was one of the youngest when I always say I was one of the youngest when I started and then one of the oldest when I left, which was slightly depressing. <laughs> um, and Carla was, um, came in as the new wave of people team to try and make us kind of grow up a little bit, I think. I think she saw me as the fun police, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I, I came in when they'd grown from about 15 people sort of sat around a table coming up with amazing ideas to about 500 across the UK. So my background prior to Red Bull was um, quite corporate. I was financial services. So I had been brought in to help them grow up a little bit and put in some structure and process. But 
do that in a way that kind of bottled up the entrepreneurial spirit and culture of what was amazing about Red Bull. But um, I always say kind of turning them from a family um, where people can fall out and, you oh know, be, be quite, yeah, have some quite poor behaviours to actually a team who are focused on, you know, a goal, but still have that passion and that, that drive and that entrepreneurial spirit. So yeah, we didn't speak for a while. <laughs> you know, in hindsight, it was totally what we needed because it was a great place to work, but we had some really bad behaviours and we were trying to grow. We were a really fast-growing business and we were making some really big changes and um, we needed some of that sort of structure to keep us on the track of what made us really great and special, but that allowed us to grow and become really successful. So it was a really interesting time because lots of people went through sort of this emotional reaction to things changing, but actually we totally need it. And then we entered this stage where life was just brilliant because everyone knew what the behaviors were that were expected of them, but they could work and innovate and be creative around that. So it was totally what we needed. And at that point, we then really started working together. Yeah, um, and I think we realized actually what we were trying to achieve both of us was exactly the same thing but from different perspectives so it was all about how do you empower your people to make decisions so you give them the tools and you bottle up what they need to know so that when you're not in the room they make the decisions based on their own instincts so from Imogen's perspective from a brand perspective Red Bull was a really complex brand so rather than being you know the person who checked off yes you can do this no you can't do this from a brand perspective it was how do we create a group of brand ambassadors who are able to make those decisions day to day on the basis of our brand and that's you know that's tricky we had about 250 student brand managers that we brought in every year new so how do you get those people who are on their own in university campuses to really understand what we are as a brand because they are the sole representative on campus and how do you get people in the finance team to live and breathe your brand and likewise, you know, from a culture perspective, from my perspective, it was, we've got this amazing bunch of creative people in the marketing team, but actually how do you get the whole business to be creative and feel that they're empowered to do that? So we started working together on a number of different projects around innovation and kind of bottling up our culture and our brand through various different means. You know, we did big brand colleges where we brought people together for a couple of days to really experience that so it wasn't about telling people what we were as a business it was about them feeling it and them getting excited about it and therefore being able to live and breathe it and really feel it themselves so that we always said that we were about creating brand ambassadors and I think that's the one thing that we really as Fizzpot Bang are trying to help other businesses to distill and bottle up because your culture is the lowest common denominator in your business. So you need to get everybody to behind that and be brand ambassadors for you. If I could just take you back before we dive into what you do now, what were some of those poor behaviours that were on show when when the fun police turned up? And I think at Red Bull, it, it tended to be that it was the best of days and the darkest of days at times, because when we were on form, as Carla said, anybody could have a great idea. And so innovation for us was the pursuit of doing things better, whether you sat in production or finance or legal team. It was just about looking at the, what you do on your day-to-day -day and making it better. 
But where the sort of dark side to that was, it was very much seen as a, we used to call ourselves Red Bull Marketing. I think there was a time where we completely changed the company name. So it was Red Bull Marketing. And actually that meant that those marketeers were being seen as the rock stars and no one else really had a role to play within the business. Um, and so we then um, really act poorly around involving people, collaborative work and feeling like, you know, they could always come up with an idea and it would happen. And I remember sitting at my desk when I first took on the brand job, which was my dream job, and having just, I think on the shelf behind me, I had um, showers and showers of ideas that we had come up with in creative sessions that no one could use because they had no framework, they had no brief, they had no purpose in terms of what they were gonna achieve. Yeah. And so, you know, it would, it would manifest in either poor behaviors around how people treated each other or poor behaviors as in no structure for people to have brilliant ideas that would make a difference for our business. So, you know, and pe people making bad decisions because they didn't know better. So one of my jobs, and Carla talks about being the fun is I was the brand witch. I was determined not to be a brand witch. I didn't mm -hmm. want to tell people off when they, or when they made a bad choice. I wanted them to help understand what we were like as a company and what our brand meant and our attitude for doing things so that they felt more informed to make great decisions. Because when you're sat in front of a buyer at Tesco and they're asking you to do some major promotion, buy or get one free, or um, to um, tag up with another brand, which not necessarily be the best link to our brand you want them to feel empowered to make those decisions rather than feeling like they have to always go and check or be or hide it because it wasn't something they wanted the marketing team to get hold of afterwards yes and so what did you what did you do what structure did you put in place how did you distill the behaviors the values the values were were already there, I guess, from a, a company perspective, but specifically from a people perspective, the first thing that I did was kind of translate them into a set of behaviours. So how do we bottle up these brand values and turn them into something that's tangible that we can share with people around what brilliant really looks like and we talked a lot about brilliance at red bull um <laughs> that's and a legacy that we still have we have we get told off occasionally for overusing brilliant yeah <laughs> so, so that was our prevailing thought at red because because actually colors like we had we had values but there were 14 of them because they were our brand values yeah and they were the values that we, they wanted people to live by but trying to get people to remember 14 values was pretty hard to do and, and we were we were an Austrian owned company they weren't pretty keen to change them so we had a sort of prevailing thought which was let's allow people to be brilliant and so that was kind of the, the hook to it and then kind of yeah. work out how we translate that into everyday behaviour. And so some of the you know some of the tools were typical things like you know actually having a competency framework that was embedded through everything that you did but but actually, that's kind of the foundation. I think the things that really brought it alive, which stood apart, were the things where people could actually feel what those behaviours were like day to day. So creativity was one of our behaviours that we everybody was recruited against and you know, performance managed against. And it's one of those things that, as I said, I passionately believed walking into Red Bull that every single person in that business had the capability to be brilliantly creative. Um, what they didn't necessarily have was the confidence or the tools to do that. So one of the first kind of company-wide training pieces that we did was we created a program called Creatable, which was basically giving every single person some really simple tools to think differently and to, to problem solve in their business. So whether that be somebody in finance or somebody in the sales team, somebody in HR, just struggling day to day, how can I think differently about that problem? 
And we obviously then had champions and we created a program where it was once people had those tools that we were inspiring them to think differently and getting them to challenge themselves and get out of the workspace and go and have days where they would get some external inspiration. But I think, first of all, you need to give people the skills and the confidence and then you need to inspire them so that they can grow and use those tools day to day. Because we were also... um really increasingly aware that we weren't just a London-based marketing agency anymore. We were a a national business that had an awful lot of people based all around the country. Um, We realised that we had to become much more regional. So I think Carla set up a great programme, which was called a sort of student safari, but we sort of extended it to almost get the leadership team and and heads of functions to go out and, and just see what these people were doing, what it's like actually out talking to people out you know, in the West Country or up in Newcastle to see that not everyone lives in London and all our consumers are out there. So we should we should make those people who are out in those locations feel really valued and that they have as an important role to play, if not more than people who are sitting, called it the, of course, everyone calls it the Ivory Tower, but the Ivory Tower in London, which is what people started to feel was happening. How did you recruit for creativity? So, well, from a student perspective, we had an amazing um, recruitment process. So we we used to do, um, as I said, every year we recruited 250 students. We did something called test flights. And basically they were an assessment day, but they were all themed around fun activities linked back to our competency framework. We wanted to um, test how they worked in a team environment, how they, how creative they were, how entrepreneurial they were. So we did things like in a group they had to do, I mean, we're talking a few years ago, so this was current and cool at the time. <laughs> Believe me. Um, but they had to do an X Factor song. So they had to, as a group, they had to come up with a song that was related to selling Red Bull. And then they had to perform it in front of the group. We also did an activity around... Yeah, problem solving. So they were kind of shipwrecked somewhere. And then they had to do something with a Red Bull can. So what could they creatively make out of a can? But as a student, it was something that was seen as a fun activity, but obviously it linked back to our core competencies. And I guess the other thing that we always wanted, personally, I always wanted from people whoever went to a test flight to experience was I saw it as an opportunity to create brand ambassadors, whether they got a job at Red Bull or not. Um, we had so many applications for the role because, you know, it's a pretty famous role. You know, everyone wants to drive the Red Bull Mini, et cetera, um, or be the cool kid on campus. But um, so we had hundreds, you know, hundreds of thousands of applications. But then whittling it down, I wanted every single person who had a touch point with us as a brand to leave, understanding why they didn't get the job if they didn't get it, but feeling that, oh, I wish I had got that job and what a great brand and a great experience that was. And I, I would recommend it for somebody to go and work there. So it was all about, you know, whatever point um, somebody touched our brand through that recruitment process, wanted them to have a feeling of what Red Bull was really like inside. I think also for a wider population, we did a good job of recruiting for attitude and then training skill afterwards. So we slightly changed as we evolved into a bigger organisation where we wanted, we needed some of that skill in, in terms of, mm. sort of specific skills, but that mindset was the most important thing for us. So we would often recruit people into specialist roles, sort of marketeer roles, where they were just passionate about a particular topic, like sport or, um, you know, sort of events culture. or whatever, you know, culture, sort of music, we wouldn't 
very often recruit traditional marketeers. We would recruit people who had a passion for a particular area because what they brought with them, you could then train them in terms of the art, arguably the art of marketing. We were basically creating stories and getting people to who are really brilliant and passionate about telling stories. And I, I listened a couple of, recently you interviewed David Hyatt, who's one of our all-time loves. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's exactly that, you know, he, it's all about telling a great story and the power of word of mouth. It isn't traditional sort of skills like marketing through advertising. And they did a bit of that, but you can train for that. It's very much an attitude base. And that's really who we used to try and recruit for. Yeah, and it comes out very strongly, doesn't it, in the stuff that they do, the newsletter, the one thing done well. Yeah, that's one of our books, actually. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, there you go. Do Purpose by David. Because yeah. he, he talks a lot about, obviously, culture in this, but it's very much centred around having a purpose and you're more likely to be successful. Regardless, you know, even if you make chocolate biscuits, it's about having a purpose that people believe in. So when you're in Red Bull, it is that typical sort of cult atmosphere. You know, you're completely brainwashed because you feel really passionate. You are very empowered. You feel very involved in, in having a, a role to play in making that business a success. You can have an idea and see it happen. And regardless of what role you do, and I think that is very powerful. And we were the people that used to bore people down the pub. So it's a funny, it's a funny thing. But then that's really why we started Fizzball Bang, because the power of creating internal brand ambassadors was just something we just saw happening and was infectious. And that meant people just went above and beyond to perform at their best and do the best for that company. Tell me about that. So how did you come to leave Red Bull, a business you obviously loved and enjoyed working at and doing good stuff? So how, why did you decide to become entrepreneurs? I think Red Bull had a very entrepreneurial mindset. So that was actually one of our values was to have an entrepreneurial mindset. So I think within that business, they were already set laying the foundation for people to have ideas to make a difference in the world, whatever that might be. And it was a little bit of accident, I think, because we worked together and we had to write a few articles for the Times 100 about um, how do you build a great marketing plan, I think it was. And it was all about your people. And people used to ask me all the time, why is Red Bull successful? Because it's basically a fizzy drink. And it was always about the people. I'd say, it was, yes, it's a clever product, but it's about the people that work there. So, so we were writing this article and I think we just felt, had this moment where we were sort of thinking, we should go and share this with other people because this should be something that everyone knows. It shouldn't just be something at Red Bull. And Carla had come from Barclays and I'd come from the crazy world of Hasbro, which is all sort of power, some shoulders and offices and very corporate life, even though it's toys. And we just kind of realised that we had this idea and it was just a bit of an idea to begin with. That's with all I think it started off as a joke, actually. Like, we should totally do this. <laughs> it's one for the business. And then actually, I think... We spoke to some people who had done their own thing and I, I wrote a blog about this a few weeks ago but I think it got to a point where we talked about it and there is always that moment of is this going to work and is this really something that we should do and I think then it's the question that I asked myself well what's the worst thing that could happen if you did this and the worst thing that could happen is that it would never be a success we would never earn any money and I would go back and get another job and actually for me the thing that felt worse was actually the thought that I would always wonder what if what if I hadn't given it a go so we decided Imogen left just before I did and then it was probably about a year after we first had the idea because of course you know every time we sort of thought of another idea we're like well that's one for the business that's one for the business <laughs> 
and and you know how things happen for a reason you know it then coincided with the MD that we worked for at the time he was a non-exec director for some charities us us to get involved to try and help them with their culture and take some of the learnings that we had at Redwater to help them perform better so we started working on projects as sort of side projects which is quite extraordinary because I don't know many companies that would get their sort of heads of departments to go off and do that in their sort of Red Bull time but we really enjoyed it and we started to realize that that was what we enjoyed more than anything else was sharing that with them and seeing seeing how much of a difference it made relatively easily so so that MD then left. So that was another sort of point to kind of go. We loved him because obviously people work for specific managers and they feel empowered by them. And, and then Red Bull started to slightly change its culture. I distinctly remember my boss at the time telling me, when we're performing better, our culture will come off the back of it. And I thought that's a distinct difference for Red Bull. And very much not us. We were very much, let's focus on our culture let's build a brilliant place of work and we will have the results, which is what we really passionately believe. And that was just the point. We were just, I was just like, it's time for me to go and do something else. And so we left within three months of each other, which Red Bull weren't particularly that pleased about, <laughs> I think it's fair to say. But I, you know, my mother always says we needed to have a divorce from them yes. uh, for us to not look back. And I think that was absolutely the right thing was, was for us to have a tough conversation and then move on and do our own thing. And yeah, here we are, just got back seven years later, so. What do you do? What do you, who's your ideal client? What problem are you solving? What do you do for them? So I think our ideal client, it's funny, when we first started, we had always thought that we would go into um, lawyers or banks or quite serious businesses and show them this magic secret that we had found at Red Bull and change that helped them to change their culture. And I think what we found over the period of time that we worked together at Pisspot Bang, so seven years now, is actually, we've worked with very few of those types of people. It tends to be people who have a mindset, it's not a specific sector, but it's a mindset thing. So it's people who want to have the very best culture out there and they have to get the importance of employee engagement, essentially. So we don't go in to convince people and say that engagement is something that is going to benefit your business. Obviously, we talk about that and we enthuse about that, but we believe that those people have to be ready to make that commitment in the first place. Otherwise, you fight too many battles. And I think then we do tend to have certain sectors that we work with, but mainly because all of our work comes on recommendations. So we never do any cold sales. We never do anything other than word of mouth. Um, so we work with lots of people in the fashion sector, music, music and entertainment, beer. beer and drinks, and then actually healthcare. And it tends to be that people from the, the industries that we've worked with then kind of spawn on and go elsewhere and take us with them. But the common denominator really is people that want to make a difference and be really brilliant at whatever stage they're at with their culture. So sometimes it can be an organisation where they want to bring two cultures together or they've just gone through a big change. Or actually, we work with quite a lot of people who we see as real trailblazers in the industry, but they want to use us and experiment with us and, and test out what is that next best thing. And they have a mind, a real growth mindset of let's test lots of different things and see what works. Is the stuff that you do the same for every client or do you have a process? Is everything totally bespoke or...? Those businesses, even though they can be wildly different industries, they have a lot of similarities in some of the things that they're trying to solve, but it depends on their sort of stage of life and what they've tried already. So 
Um, what we try to do is go in and kind of diagnose where they're at really because I think most of those companies because they're interested in their people and they just want to try and perform at their best and then they feel like there's something missing they've already tried usually they've already tried a few things I mean sometimes it's pretty obvious what they're missing and we try to start with their sort of why so what is their purpose and what, what are they trying to solve and where are they going in the future and what values and behaviors are underpinning that that will help them be successful and if they're missing some of those bits of the puzzle then we'll work on on that bit of the puzzle i mean often we get asked to come in because they feel they absolutely know what they're missing and you then have to have a bit of a conversation to say so have you got this have you got that okay you're actually missing something a lot a lot bigger and, so and that's why it can be slightly tense with some leadership teams because you know often we go in through an hr director um sometimes we go in through a leadership team and that tends to be the most helpful often yeah. because they're already brought into it because you're not then fighting with a founder or a, um, a chief exec who thinks everything is fine because people are being paid to do a job so yeah the the convincing bit is the bit that we you get some early warning signs as to whether it's going to be successful they've tried traditional sort of companies and consultants where they've been given lots of reports but they haven't they don't actually know what to do about it so so we tend to go in where they kind of feel like they just they want to try something that kind of gets on and does it. Do you have a framework that you use to define culture in these businesses? We have a number of different things that we use. So we used to have a sort of four step process that we went through and we loosely do use that still because obviously you don't want to move on to embedding your values before you've actually worked out what your values are and that they're useful and they're still fit for purpose before you've worked out what your purpose is in the first place and where you're going. So, so we tend to have a funnel approach. So we always start high up in the funnel and then we kind of work our way down through to the bottom and, and often as I say we can be brought in but lower down the funnel and that's okay and we tend to try to say you need to try a few different things so there's a big piece of work that you're missing which we need to help work on or you need to work out what you're going to do with it and then we, we can also give you a number of different solutions up and down that funnel so for example we used to always work with leadership teams and manager teams on how do you craft a culture um, and then bring in different people from across the business to help define that. But more recently, we've developed bite-sized training, which are basically two to three hour um, behavior workshops that are specifically around particular topics that will help support their values. So we've got about 40 or 50 subjects that we will go in and we'll run that with, with the general population and with managers and leaders. And so that will run alongside the work being done around vision and values, which is where we typically is our heartland. So empower people around that mindset. And we didn't start off by doing that, but we realized that we were being asked for that a lot because we know with culture, culture is built from within. And we just sometimes you just need to have lots of small things that you can go after. We know that culture is built on a number of different small things, a million different things. So, so we have a few different things to offer rather than waiting for things to be developed and then trying to embed them. I think if we're doing a big project, we still use a, a typical kind of consultant's approach where we would go in and we would start with, if we were doing a whole piece of work and they had a totally blank sheet, we would go in and understand, help them to understand what their why is. So always starting with what is their purpose. And once we've helped them to articulate that and bottle that up, it's how do we get your people to bring that to life so that you're not telling them but they are living and breathing it 
So we would do some typical kind of listen and reflect and understand where they're at and then help them to define that. And it starts, um, it starts with their brand. So we yeah. always say start in the middle, if it's your heart, start with your brand. Because really that's what it is that you start from. There's no point in creating something that isn't real for you. It should absolutely be the essence of what you're about. So if you haven't got a very clear brand, and people get a bit scared of brands, unless you're a big consumer brand like Red Bull, people feel like that's something that's a bit false. What we're saying is you need to bottle up your attitude, your personality. And your identity. Yeah, and then that spreads inside and outside, but it needs to start inside before, you know, people have done lots of good employer brand work, which isn't really true on what they are. So when people then step foot in the door, they go, oh, this isn't what I signed up to, I'm going to leave. So, you know, you need to start with that. Once you've bottled that up, it's then anything that we do after that, we really like to co-create. So we're not a kind of a consultancy that goes off and designs lots of stuff and then helps them, you know, and then go, well, this is what you need to implement. Actually, for us, we really like to act as a, an extension of the team. And, and some people have got loads of in-house capability and they just need a bit of sparkle or a bit of guidance or a bit of energy or support. So we can provide that. But some people really want us to do it all. But even then we try and get as many people in the business involved because that's the way that change will last when we've left we don't want to be embedded in their organization forever so whenever we get onto the act bit and get them kind of living and breathing those values or or that change actually happening the key really is to make sure that you've got champions and ambassadors throughout that organization who are involved from the start so they can help live and breathe it once we've gone and identifying those ambassadors and running those workshops. Are those workshops that you run then, they're experiential, like the sort of student onboarding stuff that you did at Red Bull? Yeah, as much as possible. Um, we basically decided that anything that we developed would be something that we would have loved to have done when we were at Red Bull. So it's been quite nice developing things that end at things like managers, for example, because when we were at Red Bull, we met some truly dreadful sort of training companies. So you know, you sit with that book for a whole day and then you'd go back to your job and it would make a difference. So we had some pretty clear um, sort of goals with what we wanted it to be and that it needed to feel fun, but have real purpose to it. So people felt like they got a lot out of it and they could go and do something different as a result. And that difference was the key driver for us. And what are some of your great examples within your customer base that where you go, that was great. We went in, did a great piece of work there and left them changed for me i still always loved it when we worked with the ecb so the england cricket board um just because i think they were a good example of real beginning to end piece yeah. of work really so we went in when they were going through quite a tough time i think kevin peterson had just left the team so the the team itself were feeling pretty uncertain about what their future was and but it was driven by an amazing hr director who totally came in with a, a fresh new mindset to reinvigorate a sort of very traditional company. And we worked with them right from the beginning in terms of helping them with their sort of their new vision and plan through and to values. identifying their values, which we ran sort of cafe shed sessions. We went all around the country to different cricket grounds, just getting them re-energized about what their um, purpose was and what their um, behavior should be. And, and, you know, no more so than sports. You know, if you look at rugby, for example, or other, any other sport, really, they've done so much work on that. People use them as case studies, but for some reason, cricket had just sort of been the poor relation, really. So it's just re-energizing them. And then having values champions that sat within their business that could take on that work, coming up with ideas to embed it, which they had some amazing ideas just about how they could embed those values. And then even just 
they redid their office and we helped them a bit in terms of what sort of spaces would help them. Yeah, we refitted the whole of the interior of Lords. So basically to make their values come alive through their environment. So anything that was on the walls, how did we get that essence of the heritage and the kind of the new vision of cricket and how do we bring that to life? So it was a really amazing environment where people could be creative and live and breathe their values day to day. So And I still see, you know, we, we don't do that much work with them anymore, but they check in with us all the time and they and we see some of the stuff and they genuinely live and breathe their values, which was actually for a big business that was quite complicated. They did that very quickly. And it's interesting, I think one of your questions is about change, how how do you make sure change happens? Well, actually, it's just about getting on with it and having champions to just keep at it because the more you say and talk about it and over-communicate stuff, the more it starts to sick. And we had that at Red Bull with Brilliance. You know, it started off as one of those things people didn't really, they were a bit too cool for school. We didn't really want to talk about performance and, and brilliance. But actually, within a year, it was just something that everybody talked about all the time. And it was just part of our language. So it's just, it was just keeping, keeping at it. So if I asked you to go back in time now, knowing what you know now, Red Bull, seven years on your own, all these amazing clients that you've transformed their lives, what is there something where you, you go, oh God, I wish I'd just known that then? I think for me, what we learned that I would like to have been told at the beginning, two things, but I'll say one because probably colours the other, <laughs> is to, one of our values as a, as a company is to practice what you preach. And we, for too long, didn't do that. So we now have a team of 12 and we then have a ninja team who are sort of freelance base of about five or six people. And because it was just Carla and I to begin with, it was very easy for us to work together. We don't have an office, for example, um, and still don't have an office. Um, but we left it too long before we really started thinking about what our culture was and to practice what we tell other people. And actually it's now, it takes a lot of effort and we've spent a lot of time trying to build the sort of culture that reflects who we are and that gets the best out of our people. And I'd say probably only in the last year have we really started to crack it and to have a, a brilliant team who all call themselves our tribe, which is like, <laughs> that's not us. And to relax a little bit in that we don't have to have all the answers we always tell people, recruit better people that are better than you and then just let them, you know, run free. And actually, that is so true. And we, we started to run down that territory of being a, a bad founder. You know, we work with, we try to avoid founder-led companies because you tend to have slightly chaotic founders who, who just want to smother everything because it's their baby for so long. So it's taken us a little while to get our heads around that. But practicing what, what we preach is probably the one thing I wish someone had told us a bit earlier on. It's so obvious and we just didn't. We just kind of got our heads down and cracked on with it. Very early on, we thought we would have an office because we'd always been in an office and we thought that's what, how we wanted to, to operate. So the plan was, you know, as soon as we got that third person in, we were going to have a grand office in Soho. And actually, as we grew, we realised that the benefits of not having an office way outweighed some of the challenges that you have with not having it. And I think we used to be slightly embarrassed when we spoke to clients because as we grew, there would be that sort of awkward question of, oh, well, could I come and sit in your office? And we'd think, well, you could, but it's attached to my house or, you know, Imogen's is in Herefordshire. So, but actually we should have been proud of that from the start. We're certainly really proud of that now. And that's something that we talk to our clients about is that actually things don't need to be done that traditional way. As a business, we go in and challenge the norm and we want to do things differently. But we've consciously had to think about how do we allow the team to grow that culture because we're not all sat in one space? 
So we've had to put some things in place to make that successful. So we've had to, every Monday we have 11 Z's. So we were all like, all 12 of us are at the bottom of a Google Hangout, kind of chatting to each other and having that band. So we have regular business planning, catch-ups. We have a, a team on tour day once a month where everybody comes together. But so those are some of the things that we've set up. But we've also then allowed our team to kind of say, well, what do you guys need? What's missing? Things like we've got a group Spotify playlist because they all want to listen to the same tunes. And we've got our WhatsApp banter group. And we've got Lunch Club where we just share pictures of what everyone's got for lunch and it becomes a competition. And actually, the, the thing that I think the defining moment for me where I think you should just have confidence in challenging the way things are done ourselves is is we had somebody new join us very recently and actually she said you know for a group of people who are not sat in the office you have got the best culture and team environment that I've ever worked in because we consciously make an effort for that and we also allow people to decide what they need so I think it's something that at the start I wish that I'd had more confidence around that look that's there's some great tips in there for people running with remote remote teams and I think that's always, to me, one of the challenges in building a culture if your team are remote is, is what do you do? So there's some great, some great lessons that you've learned. Us going through that has really helped us also give that perspective to more traditional corporate teams where they're, they're slightly struggling because everyone talks about flexible working now. And is that just mean that everyone's sat at home doing their washing? And, you know, the amount of conversations we have with much more traditional leaders around, well, I can't let my people, or actually even people who set up their own businesses, well, I can't let my person work from home because they're just basically going to be doing their shopping online. You know, those are the, it's actually so much easier now because we have that culture of allowing our people to perform when they want to perform at their best and get, as long as they're doing the job that we need them to do, they can do whatever time of day they want to do it. So, you know, we have clients that work nine to five and we have to be around to make sure that we are there to access their team. But, you know, it's about understanding how people work and that everyone is different. So that gives us a good perspective when we're having those conversations with much more traditional companies, which we often do. Yeah. If you think about the books that have impacted you on your journey. Yes, um... there's a few. <laughs> What would you pick from your bookshelf to suggest that, you know, other people should have a look at? A really small and simple book, actually, that I do gift to people quite often. It's called The Rules of the Red Rubber Ball by David uh, Kevin Carroll. And it's basically a little snapshot of how to find the thing that ignites the fire in your own belly. It's basically a guy who has followed his passion and kind of talks about his seven simple rules that he believes that you should follow in life so that you never lose sight of your your own red rubber ball which is your dream and your ambition and it's just a really simple check-in you can read it in about 20 minutes and I just find it a really kind of inspiring link back to why am I doing what am I doing and what do I want to do in life and how can I make sure that I check in that what I'm doing links back to my my core beliefs and, and what I really want to achieve. Yeah, and I mentioned um, Do Purpose by David Hyatt, which is part of the Do Lectures, which which we really love. And we actually were really fortunate when we first started to go down as a guest to the Do Lectures because we were helping David a bit when he was first starting at Hyatt Jeans with his marketing. I, you know, I just love, it's very human. We, I think the books that have affected us the most are the ones that tell you it's okay to be human, which is what we tell everybody that we work with. And we're trying to retrain people to be human beings and interact and have conversations with each other. 
um, which is why when we get asked for lots of digital learning, we have a slight sort of twitch because digital learning absolutely has a role, but we're in the business of human business. Like how do you teach people to have brilliant conversations to just have a culture where they can be really open with each other? So, so for me, this was one. And, and we have new starters. We still send, mm. we send them a couple of little books that help them understand where we're coming from. And, it's, and David talks in the same language that we do. So that just makes a big difference for us. And then one, one that's more recent is um, Matthew Sides' You Are Awesome. I don't know if you've read it. It's basically no. a kid's book. But <laughs> I wish that they hadn't actually packaged it up as a kid's book because <laughs> any human being in terms of a growth mindset, which is, again, one of the things that we feel passionate about, um, if you could give that to every single leader of every big corporate company in, in this country, I think they would do things quite differently. So... So that's definitely one more recent, but it's just one that immediately we just bought as a copy and sent it to those people mm-hmm. who knew just because it was um, just a brilliantly written book. And then I have just finished reading Michelle Obama and we went to see her a couple of weeks ago. And I just think that anyone who wants to be inspired and do something good in the world should have a read of that because she is just a lady with a mission. And I just love all the things that she's personally taken ownership of and really against the odds really tried to, to fight and create her own, make, make her own mark on the world. So it's just a, a nice kind of inspiring book that will get you thinking about what, what can you personally do in life to make a difference to people. We're big on um, vulnerability, leadership vulnerability at the minute. So she talks a lot about that, which is just always really, really great to read. Um, there is a great, I don't want to say another podcast, because obviously yours is the no. best podcast, but you might have heard of us too, which is Mills and Sync. So they run no. a digital agency and they run a podcast called JFDI. And they basically just talk about their learnings from running a business and setting up an agency that went from 10 people to 400 people in the space of two years. That's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for those. And thank you very much indeed for taking the time to chat to me today. Well, thank you. Thanks, Dominic. All this information and more can be found at forward slash podcast There you'll find show notes, additional reading and links related to this episode. You can also find my blog and the past editions of the Melting Pot newsletter. The simplest thing to do is to sign up to my subjectively, not crap, once a week newsletter, where I'll update you on what I've been up to, the most interesting articles I've read, and all things relating to scaling up, high-performing teams, net promoter score, company culture, etc. Social, you can find me on Twitter at Dom Monkhouse and LinkedIn at Dominic Monkhouse. LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me and share your questions and comments. Thanks for listening.